Daydream Believers Podcast. I'm your host, Space Urban 18. Today we are going to get down and disco with Saturday Night Gleaver. And I have a lot of, a couple of good guests returning back to the seat with me. Hi, I'm Kay, Black John Leonard on Tumblr. Um, big blade of Mercedes stand, so I'm super excited about this episode because Mercedes has a lot to do with it. Yeah. Um, I'm Jamie. I'm uh, like a rum chocolate souffle on Tumblr or uh, just like a souffle on Archive of Our Own. And um, I, I'm i a, a really big fan of Unique, so I'm excited that this is her first episode. Um, awesome. So we open up this, um, for those of you that don't know, though I'm sure if you don't know, I, you wouldn't be listening to this. Um, this is the disco episode where they base the entire episode off of the um, album um, soundtrack of the movie Saturday Night uh, Saturday Night Fever. I almost said it wrong because I'm so used to saying it wrong. <laughs> Which was uh, I love. I love that movie and that soundtrack. Um, that's good. I'm not a big disco fan. I don't hate it, um, but I'm not a fan. Um, but the cool thing is, you can find people that are passionate about it. It kind of makes you enjoy it through them. So. Um, but I do, I will say that I think this is a little bit of an underrated episode. I think people see disco and they're like, oh, God, why? But I, I think there's a lot of really good things in this episode. So I agree. I think, I think sometimes episodes get written off based on how much clay is in it, especially in season three. Mm-hmm. And so if, if they don't have a storyline in it, the episode kind of can get written off as lame or boring or whatever. Um, but I really enjoyed most of this episode. And uh, honestly, Boogie Shoes is one of my most listened to songs from the entire series. That song is awesome. It is. Same with me and Disco Inferno. Oh, awesome. <laughs> um, so we open with a disco number. And before we talk about it, I have to say this because I've been staring at the still. Um, they're in a math room and it's going to be Blaine, Brittany and Mike who are dancing. But this math room has um, Greek symbols along the side of, like, the top of it. It's kind of funny. There's, like, a pie sign, but then there's, like, the Greek alphabet up there. Like, they threw just random symbols on the wall. So if you get a second, like, pause the beginning <laughs> of this episode and check that out. Awesome. I didn't notice that, but my first note that I wrote here is Brittany sharing your class with Blaine and Mike. Just, especially, I don't know, maybe it's because it's math that Brittany's supposedly a math genius. But it just didn't strike me as oh yeah um, anything because they're not in the same grade, are they? No, Mike's younger. But when I was in high school, math was more about 
where your level was versus grade hmm. because I had math classes with freshmen when I was a senior, which tells you everything you need to know about me and math. So would Mike <laughs> be in the look? Because Blaine and Brit Blaine is a junior, Brittany is a senior, but she's gonna fail, and Mike is a senior. Yeah. So I think but that we, Blaine Blaine is the youngest there. I think. And Blaine was one grade point away from valedictorian. That's true. So it would make, yeah, it would make sense that he was in an upper math class, as opposed to it making sense that Brittany's in an upper math class because math genius aside, her GPA alone, they would probably put her somewhere remedial. You know, yeah. I think we're thinking way too hard about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean not that it's not fun to do. I just it makes me laugh. Um, but yeah, that song "You Should Be Dancing" is so much fun, and the dancing is excellent. I I like that very much. And there's like 80s costumes and stuff too. There's lots of like bright colors and. <laughs> I love it, and I, I you know I used to for fun. I don't know how I found this fun. Read those confession blogs, and one of the confessions said that it should have just been Brittany and Mike, in this number, but I love the three of them. <laughs> I love, I don't know why I read them. They make me so upset. Yeah, don't read those, honey. <laughs> <laughs> they make me so upset. But I Blaine read haters, them. don't read those. <laughs> I know. That's why I don't understand why I read them, but I do. <laughs> well, let's go to a happy oh place God. and talk about the disco ball that things. follows them as they dance. Like the disco ball follows them from room to room. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Yeah. Well, I'm just noticing it now as I'm watching it. <laughs> I, I, my eyes are solely on Blade. I can't help it. But I, like I totally did not says, notice that disco ball. <laughs> I like how um, Blaine says that they were looking for something vintage that has lots of energy. So obviously disco is the music style that comes to mind. That's the, like, obviously, what else would you pick? <laughs> disco's, like, super vintage to them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever feel old? They're supposed to be teenagers, even though, like, when you yeah. sometimes you look at it and you're like, oh, wait, they're in their 20s. Oh, wait a minute. They're supposed to be 16. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. I, I've i been watching Girl Meets World, and it's like when you look at high school students played by people actually high school age, you forget how young a high school student really is because you're so used to high school students being played by people between 20 and 30. So you're just like, wait a minute. No, they really are kids. But my th I have a sad headcanon because what? Dance with Somebody is the next episode, right? Yes. Okay, and we know that Blaine's been, like, separating himself from Kurt. So I have this sad headcanon that part of the reason he came up with this number and does the one with Mr. Shu and Joe is, like, one of the things he's doing to distract himself and keep him busy and away from Kurt. Oh. But know. he seems so, like, happy and cheerful when he's doing his song I in know. this episode. I just, my brain just <laughs> went there. I don't know what's wrong with me. It makes perfect sense, though. It does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll adopt it, but I'll still be sad. And <laughs> um, I love this number, though. I mean, I, I know a lot of people talk about, you know, Brittany and, and Mike are the dancers, but Blaine keeps up. I mean, he's in sync with them. A lot of times, like, when they, they do this with the Unholy Trinity, and they try and get them to do all the same thing, and they just, it doesn't really work. Um, but these guys are just amazing dancers across the board, and it, this number is so much fun. Uh, this is one of my favorite numbers in the in the group. Uh, being a not huge disco fan, this one I, I actually listen to quite a bit. So, mm -hmm. 
this is the first time I really, really kind of realized how small Blaine is. <laughs> because he's like sandwiched between the two of them and he's so tiny and he's like part Tigger because he gets higher up in the air than both of them. And I'm just like, oh my God, he's so little. I'm like Bert when Kurt ran out on the football field. Like, he's so small. Well, and it's funny because in season two, they kind of framed him so that he would be at least equal height to, to Kurt a lot. They, they tried to downplay the height. I mean, not that there's a big height difference between Darren and, and I, Chris. I, a lot of the time in, in season two, they also had Kurt, like, lean back against his locker with his, like, so that he was down a little bit so that uh, comparatively Blaine would be like an inch taller or something. <laughs> yeah, and that boxy blazer, you really didn't get, couldn't really tell how tiny his his frame is um, in the blazer. So when you start seeing him in the tight polos and stuff, then you're just like, wow, he's really small. We definitely <laughs> talked about it, you and I, Kay, did, um, when we talked about Hold On to 16, when he had that scene with Finn, and Finn is just like, yeah, really tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so teeny. I love it. Um, and also, uh, I just wanted to mention this is the scene where that that GIF is from. Um, the one where Blaine is kind of like running his hands through his hair. Not really because it's so gelled down, but it just looks like there's other things going on. I just whenever oh, I see that, yeah. yeah, it's at the very very beginning. But um, yeah, I think that's also a slight visual reference to Saturday Night Fever. Because I do believe there's a point in time when John Travolta's character does exactly that same move. I have never actually, a mission, I've never seen Saturday Night Fever, so you guys will have to, like, fill me in. So. I love that I've, movie. So I've good. never seen it either, so uh, Kay will have to be the expert. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good movie, but some of the language, it's hard to believe that Ms. Mr. Shu will sit down, a teenager, and be like, watch this movie where the where John Travolta closes his finger in a door and says, you know what, I'm not going to say it because the language is just vulgar. You know, I don't know oh, what really? the rules of this podcast are. <laughs> <laughs> but let's just say. <laughs> Look it up on YouTube. I'm sure it's there. <laughs> inappropriate language in the movie. So they, I, but the thing is, they are so adorable. And I kind of am like, and I know that the joke is that like a lot of people didn't want to do a disco episode and they're kind of just doing it obligatory. One, but um, yeah, the rest of the the kids are just sitting there, and um, that's when they yell, "Disco sucks." Yeah, and and uh, in an, in another scene, I think the next scene that Puck is in, he has a shirt that says "Disco sucks" on it, yeah. and um, and I I actually read a really interesting article recently on Tumblr about um a little bit of history about disco, um, which I think might be relevant to this episode because it talks about how it was um uh, it was a really big music genre for uh, providing more visibility for black people and for women and for queer people as well. and uh, and it was a big change from rock and roll because you didn't have to have a live band anymore so you could go to a club and dance like whenever you wanted you didn't have to wait for the band to be playing and they could keep a record going for like all hours of the night and it so it was a way cheaper way to go out and and be active and with your friends like whenever you want right and um and so it allowed more freedom for people who were not you know straight white men <laughs> and uh and there was this guy um i've got it sorry i had it open here there was this dj a rock and roll dj who lost his job when his radio station became a disco station he was called 
uh, Steve Dahl. And, uh, and so he started the whole Disco Sucks thing, and uh, which became very popular among straight white men. And they had a whole thing at a White Sox game where um, people uh, people got to get cheaper tickets to the game if they brought a disco record to destroy. Um, <laughs> so they had a whole disco demolition. Yeah. Night. yeah. I remember. I was wondering if that was going to come up because I was going to say the same thing. Disco as a genre was kind of, gave us kind of a safe place to, um, to like you say, queer people, black people. A lot of the really famous disco performers were queer people of color. Um, when we did Hold On to 16, and I was talking about the whacking, that dance move, that dance style that the Trouble Tones use, it started in the LA disco scene with minority members of the LGBTQ community. Um, that was their dance style. It was a disco thing in LA. That's where it came from. And um, one of the biggest disco so- songs of all time is You Make Me Feel Mighty Real by Sylvester, who is a drag performer. And so I do think that it is relevant that Unique Storyline does start up on the disco episode just because of that connection that disco has with um, with um, people of color and trans people of color and gay people of color and things like that. Now, do you think that they purposely did that that way? Because it seems kind of uh, something they would do, that they're like, okay, we have this character that we are going to um, bring out as a trans character, and maybe they, I mean, I'm sure they know the history behind disco. I feel like it must be intentional. I, I feel like it also must be intentional that Blaine is the character who brings up disco as an idea for the group. Um like, Mercedes and Santana have their major storylines in this episode, too. Yeah. Ryan Murphy, I feel like he, he knows these the history of these types of things, and so it wouldn't surprise me at all. I don't think it's it's a coincidence. Just like the choice of that dance style for the Trouble Tones was definitely not a coincidence. I think one of the really neat things about Glee, and, and something I've been learning a lot through this podcast, is that there is a... Uh, a lot of history. Ryan Murphy really does know his his queer history, and a lot of that comes through in Glee, which I think is really cool, especially for a show that is aimed. I mean, it's, it was aimed at for an older group, but also aimed at teenagers. Yeah, I, I agree. It's interesting though that the uh, so that knowing some of that history, that this parts of this episode are really focused on, like you know, Finn. And Rachel are straight white heroes, and and that the uh, the movie itself is is pretty. I, I don't know. My impression of it, not having seen it, my impression of it is that it's a pretty white movie, but I don't know. Um, I mean, it kind of is. It kind of is. It doesn't touch on those aspects of disco mm-hmm. at all. But you know, for the time, I'm not surprised that they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. I have a note here that says "White Savior" the musical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even knowing that history, we have this episode where Mr. Shu decides that he's going to save Mercedes and Santana from themselves, which we'll get to. We have Sam who goes in behind Mercedes' back and sends that video in as much as I love the Sam Sadie's-ness of this episode. We have Brittany teaching Santana a lesson about fame by not only releasing their sex tape without her permission, but applying to college for her. So... Mm -hmm. It's like, even though we know this history, this whole episode is full of cisgendered white people telling their, you know, telling minority females in particular 
what they <laughs> should and shouldn't want from their lives. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, that's a nice segue because the next scene is when Will gives that whole speech about um, uh, people being the seniors being lost or just the three seniors. And the only one that he really is concerned with is Finn because he makes no effort, even though there's Santana and Mercedes plot lines there, he doesn't really do anything to help them focused on, on, uh, Here's here's the thing about his voiceover that struck me. He goes, Mercedes wants to be famous, but she doesn't have the drive like Kurt and Rachel. Um, And then, like, two scenes later, Mercedes is naming the colleges she got accepted to. And I'm like, if you were doing your job, you would have noticed (laughs) that you have these two really promising students who apply to exactly one school that is damn near impossible to get in. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I like where you're going. Who, even though she knows what she wants, she still applied to multiple schools and got in. Yeah, I was going to actually say something um, that I I figured you would uh, back me up on this, Kay, is that um, I think this episode in some ways does Mercedes a disservice because I think here's this kid, she knows exactly what she wants, and she says, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know how to do that. And Will takes that as, you know, I I don't know, weakness as, as something that, you know, like, she doesn't know what she's doing in life. When it's not that, I mean, as an educator, you should be like, okay, let's see what kind of things we have for you. And instead, she kind of just, or he kind of just lets her, you know, fend for herself. And, and Sam kind of takes over. And it just yeah, frustrates he me. He shuts her down completely because her dreams, because her wanting to emulate these stars aren't dreams. Meanwhile... If you take a shot every time Rachel mentions Barbara Streisand in an episode, <laughs> you may need your stomach pumped. And the thing is, if you're, even though Kurt and Rachel's plan for Niata is misguided and a huge disaster, at least they're saying, okay, I'm gonna, I want to go to New York. I want to be on Broadway. So you go to New York, you put your ear to the ground, you go for auditions. You can, you know, there's, there's a there and a place and an action that you know you need to do. And that's with or without college. You go to New York, you start going to auditions, you do that thing. But what Mercedes wants is really like, it's like, okay, you go to LA and then what? Yep. You know what I mean? And so she needed the guidance, but it's like all he wanted to do was get like kind of his white horse and get his good deed for the day and tell the poor little black girl that her dream is not good enough because it needs to be twice as good as what her white counterpart wants to do even though their dreams are essentially the same they have their idols they want to be just like them rachel has never been told you need to strive for more than being barbara streisand jr he's never ever ever said that to her and she could have she literally she honestly could have learned or gained something from being told to strive for more but the only one who needs to strive for more are mercedes and santana yeah, well, and even Kurt's going to get run over by the Rachel Berry uh, Snowflake Express later on. But, it, yeah, no, I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, getting back into the episode a little bit, I have to say <laughs> the, the scene where there's a scene where Sue kind of talks um, Will into um, doing the, the disco album. And <laughs> she just mentions that the kids like swag. And there's this whole little montage of them getting <laughs> stuff <laughs> like <laughs> I, I wish they did that more often. I love it. That was so cute. So, anyway, like there's breadsticks and mattresses and the denim jacket, <laughs> and it was just really funny. I'm, I, I, yeah, 
I wish that, like that and like the split phone call stuff that they only think did twice or whatever. These little cracky moments. I'm like, why didn't they implement more of that kind of weird stuff in there? But I agree. Yeah, I love that was the way, cute. I, I love the way Rachel's so excited when she's like, some mattresses. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So then we get into, um, well, we get into the introduction of Unique. And we first of all, we have... Uh, what Kay was talking about earlier, um, that Mercedes is applying to a bunch of different schools and Kurt's talking to her about it. And Kurt's like, why don't you come to New York? Which I, 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 I like Mercedes' storyline about getting going to L.A. and getting an album. But I do wish that she had gone over to New York with them. I think she would have been a great character on that side of the story. Me too, because when we finally got her over there, everything was perfect. But yeah, so then we get the introduction of Unique. Yay! Who, who's like um, Kurt and Mercedes' love child, obviously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Their personalities melded perfectly into an amazing character. Um, I have a question for you guys, and I, I hope that you can forgive my ignorance, but um, maybe that this will help some of the listeners, too. Now, I always refer to Unique as Unique, and I use the she pronouns at this point, but... At this point, before the before Unique was really, I, I don't know how to put it. Like, how do you guys discuss, um, like, when she was just Wade? Do we still just say, like, as she, when she was Wade or before? You, or, like, how do you guys go about that kind of conversation? So there there was a time when this was tricky. In, the, in this episode, um, it, it sounded like she was saying that she identifies as female because she makes the distinction that Kurt identifies as a man and that's different. Um, but, uh, there was some uncertainty at the time, whether, um, unique was her identity and she, her were her pronouns. Um, but now that we know, um, that her name is unique and her pronouns are she and her, um, the, the most appropriate thing to do, um, as far as I'm concerned, is talk about her as unique all the time, even when talking about her in the past when she was using the name Wade. Um, except- is it similar for uh, Sheldon as well? Because I've I've had that issue with my ranking where I was ranking an episode before um, we found out that Shannon was transitioning, and I had referred to to her. I referred to Sheldon as her because it was before we knew that about her being transgender and I got some anonymous comments about that. And I wasn't sure because at that point in Canon, we had no idea she was just Shannon. Mm-hmm. And so is, would it be kind of the similar thing where, because we now know that he is a, he and prefers to be referred to as he in the past seasons, we should do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so I'm, Basically, going with real life rules, even though they're fictional characters and they're not going to be upset. Um, <laughs> but uh, but most I like everyone is different, and um, I can't speak for the entire trans community. But um, being a trans person, um, it uh, for me, I when people talk about me in the past and use either my old name or my old pronouns, um, it that like hurts me (laughs) and uh like and i know it's difficult some like it's hard to switch the pronouns in your brain especially when you're talking about a time when you knew someone before and they use different pronouns and it's not to like make anyone feel bad but um but the general rule of thumb that i go with is that whatever 
they prefer to be called now, unless you're quoting someone and you're using a direct quote with quotation marks around it, um, that usually the best thing to do is to use their current name and pronouns, even if you're talking about the past. Okay. Well, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you. I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot like that. I'm sorry. Um, no, that's okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it was something, that, you know, because with Unique, I'm, I'm just very used to calling her Unique, and, and it's not anything that I have an issue. With Beast, it's a little bit trickier because Beast identified as a woman or, uh, or was presented as a woman for so long in the show um, that it, it's, it's a little bit trickier for me. Um, but just, you know, it's like, okay. You know, you just acclimate and, and make sure that you're aware of it. At least that's how I kind of look at it. So Yeah, yeah I had a situation at work where someone, I guess, came back from leave. I didn't know I didn't know him before he worked before there because I was, I'm new to the job. I've only been there for a year. But they got promoted and they came back and they are transitioning and presenting as male. And I've been, I went straight up to him and just asked. Because a lot of people were still using the girl name and everything. And I, I went up to him and asked specifically, do you prefer he and him and what should I call you? But I've had a hard time with a lot of my coworkers who are still mm-hmm. using the girl name and the female pronouns. And she's a girl. And I'm, it's driving yeah. me crazy because I'm like, no, he is a male. He yeah. prefers to be called this. Yeah. It doesn't matter what what they were going by before. But go you for asking. Like, that's always the best thing to do, to clarify, yeah. Um, So, I just, I want to make sure, like, I'm trying to learn as much as possible since I'm, you know, I don't want to make the mistake, especially in the workplace, to cause confusion. So, I just flat out ask. Yeah, that that makes so much sense. Another another thing that I've noticed recently uh, is with the the Wachowskis. Um, When people... So people used to always in the past refer to them as the Wachowski brothers. And then and then um, after one of them publicly transitioned to female, they started being called the Wachowskis. And now they've both come out as trans and people are starting to say the Wachowski sisters. Um, but uh, but it's cool because um, sometimes you'll see uh, new reviews of older movies and uh, and people are starting to say the Wachowskis or the Wachowski sisters even when talking about old movies. Oh, that's so, good. That's really and, good. Yeah. Oh, and I saw a thing recently where, where someone was talking about Caitlyn Jenner having been in something way back in like the 70s. Um, they were listing a bunch of actors who had been in a show and they said Caitlyn Jenner was in this show. And I thought that was cool because she didn't use that name at the time. But it's uh, but I think it's the most appropriate way to say that. So and then we're it's, getting there. It's um, <laughs> I've actually I've been finding it easier to with people in real life because, you know, when you see something like, OK, that's a her, that's him. Um, it's the fictional part that I think it trips me up, like with Beast. Like, how do we refer to these characters? Um, so I'm glad. Thank you for, for clearing that up. Um, You're welcome. Um, so we get our introduction to Unique. And uh, one thing I really like about her when she comes up is that she says that you guys were should have been the roles, leads in West Side Story. And um, <laughs> Kurt's reaction, oh, well, hello there. <laughs> well, hello there, kind <laughs> sir. <laughs> and, yeah, that was... Oh, a fan, of course. Hi. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just going to go on and point out that this episode is a glaring example of Kurt Sadie's still being alive and well and thriving. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's because um, we haven't really gotten much Kurt Sadie's in this season at all. Um, but I like that. I mean, there's here and there's 
throughout the rest of the series, you get these little moments, you get these little storylines. Because their friendship is different doesn't mean it's not there. So Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like there have been times when I was worried that Kurt's friendship with Mercedes was replaced by his friendship with Rachel. Um, like it seemed like after... Um, Oh, what was it? The, um... The stinking tots? What? The stupid tots? Oh, no, I was thinking of the one where uh, Bert is sick and... Oh, you know, Grilled Jesus. Grilled Jesus, yeah. I thought that after that one, Kurt and Mercedes had a hard time being friends. But you're right that this is a really good example of them still being um, pretty close friends, so... Yeah, Glee has this habit of... If it's not something that's integral to the whatever storyline they have at the moment, that they're just in the background and, and the writers seem to ignore it. But it doesn't mean it, it's gone completely, which is mm-hmm. nice. So, yeah. But, so, yeah. Um, and Unique is um, is in Vocal Adrenaline, led by Jesse St. James. Um, I think this is Jesse G- St. James's only episode that he does not have a scene with Rachel in. Oh, wow. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Yep. And um, and he calls vocal adrenaline the Borg. <laughs> <laughs> he says he says vocal adrenaline does not have a star. The star of vocal adrenaline is vocal adrenaline. <laughs> but to be fair, sometimes I'm like, in some respects, that a good show choir it should be about the group and not about whoever is the star and everybody else do whopping behind them. But probably, you know, it's yeah. funny because we get a. We get a flashback to Will when he was in show choir, and that's how it was. So I don't understand. I don't understand unless he's projecting, and he feels like it should have been about him <laughs> at the time. And so he's like, "Well, when I do it, I'm gonna do it this way." I think that Will try to, and then he he doesn't know how to control big personalities. And Rachel has walked over him so many times that he just kind of, you know, whatever. <laughs> so yeah. That's my interpretation of that. But yeah, so, and then uh, Unique's there just, you know, because she needs support and that she has, you know, this is kind of her really talking to somebody about being unique and, and wanting advice. And so she seeks Kurt and Mercedes out. I love it. I wish that we had gotten more of the three of them as Unique became a regular. Yeah, me too. They didn't really, yeah, they don't really revisit. Um, in fact, doesn't even... I think that Mercedes has some stuff with Unique in season four, but they definitely don't go back to Kurt. It's no, not at all. Um, no. I do like what did uh, Unique says that her her she was like a love child of Kurt and Mercedes, but the grandparents would be Beyonce and who is the second person? Andre Leon Talley, who um, I believe worked for Vogue and was a, a judge on America's Next Top Model at one point. Oh. Google him. You will see. You will see the when you see Andre Leon Talley, and then you imagine Beyonce. Yes, it's the perfect combination. But yeah, I love Unique though. Uh, she, um, I it, you know, and it's also interesting because Kurt and Mercedes are both a little out of their elements because they aren't sure what to do either. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that um, Unique must be really lacking in queer role models. Like she, she, it seems like she doesn't have any trans role models in particular because um, uh, the only people she has to talk to are, a, you know, a gay man 
and and Mercedes, who's obviously not queer. And <laughs> so, um, and it seems like she doesn't have like friends to talk to at her own school. Like, yeah. So it's kind of sad that she had to seek out um, people she admires in an artistic way in another school who don't know anything about trans stuff. So, so that she could talk about it. I I think it's also a good. A thing to, to put Kurt here and say, okay, well, this is a gay man. This is a different thing than a trans woman. Like, there, exactly. there are different conversations that we are having, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and Kurt, even, sense. Kurt even ends up giving, well, Kurt and Mercedes between them end up giving, you know, not the best advice. They're like, you should you should just not be female. That that would be bad. People would not like it. And and that turns out to be the wrong answer and 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 it's interesting that kurt says that because a lot of the time he's willing to be himself even at the the risk of being judged by other people or even being harmed by other people um he like he always says it's important to be himself you know to wear a kilt to to the dance and and whatever else he wants to do even when people are criticizing him for it but in this case he tells unique that would be over the top don't do that so well, and um, I think that he's trying to, um, and I agree he's wrong, um, but I'm like, I, it, you can kind of see where he's trying to, well, like, he doesn't fully understand that this is a trans issue and not just a, I want to dress up as a woman type thing. Um, right. So he's like, okay, well, I've been ridiculed by dr- like dressing like a woman, but I'm not a woman, so maybe you should tone this down. And not getting what the, the actual, I hate to say issue, because it's not like it, it, the, the real situation situation that's going on mm-hmm. so and at this scene nothing really they kind of just drop it and they kind of um go on um but we'll it, it continues further down in the episode um next we get um we get this giant dance floor and we get a dance off blade's face when he walks in and sees that dance floor I very rarely refer to Blade as a puppy because I kind of hate <laughs> that whole trope. But there, he just looks like the happiest little puppy when he walks in and saw that dance floor. I, I think this is so cute. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I like dance-offs in general. I like that each of the characters... What song are they dancing to anyway? I can't remember. Night Fever. Night Fever. And it's really cute. I mean, everyone has their little dance moves um, and has a little moment at... I don't really understand the uh, polyester suit as something that you'd want to win, but. <laughs> um, yeah, like some of I, them are like, I bet that's worth a lot of money. I could sell that on eBay. <laughs> I feel like Kurt is like, okay, what can I, if I deconstructed it, what can I do with it? Because I have a hard time imagining Kurt wanting that suit just to have a polyester bell bottom leisure suit. Yeah, I cannot imagine Kurt, like, yeah. Maybe that. Yeah, I could it. see him more like, I could do so much with the individual parts of this. Yeah. Or maybe I can bedazzle it. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah, joking for the most part. But, um, yeah. So the whole point of this dance-off is to... I'm not entirely sure how this boosts the esteem of Santana and Finn and Mercedes, but it's supposed to boost the esteem of Finn and Santana and Mercedes. <laughs> Kurt's, the look that Kurt gives Finn when Mr. Shoe announces him as the winner, it is so quick, but he looks at Finn like, what? How did you win a dance contest? <laughs> Kurt has the best face. <laughs> he really does. That, he gives Finn the dirtiest look. 
And it's weird how everyone sings in falsetto in this episode except Kurt. <laughs> Just in the background of that one song. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm going to say something about this. Uh, the I don't think it is awful that because a lot of people at the time were like, Kurt should have sang because his voice is naturally that high. And I'm like, but he didn't have any story. So I, I don't think that it's a just awful thing that he didn't sing. But I also, Disco had, and like this whole album is the Bee Gees singing in falsetto. I mean, that's kind of the style. So I, I'm not, you know, critiquing that. I, I don't think it's. Funnily a- enough, there is a Bee Gees song that I would have loved to have heard Kurt sing, but it's not a disco song and they don't sing it in falsetto. But it's one of my <laughs> favorite Bee Gees songs. And I think that he would have sounded amazing on it. Um, it's called Words. I actually used a lyric from that song as a title to one of my Clay fan fictions because I love the song so much. But I think that maybe I'll find something and post it so you guys can hear it. But I think that he would have sounded amazing on that song. But yeah, it's not falsetto and it's not disco. <laughs> it's not even on this album. I have to say something that I think is really funny to me is that this we're getting into the time period where Sue is pregnant. So she's wearing all of these like you know, and that Jane Lynch is wearing the baby bump stuff, so her doing disco while pregnant is just really funny to me for some reason. Well, <laughs> they really, really feel that pregnant women are super energetic and acrobatic because they had Quinn like nine months ready to pop and bring on the fug and or give up the fug, and now they've got Sue just you know doing the hustle. <laughs> Yeah, the other thing, I was watching this with my mom, and my mom, to give context, she graduated high school in 1978. And um, you can tell the choreographers, like, knew certain dance moves, and they kept reusing them over and over, like, like only a certain yes. number of, of, of disco dance moves, and they kept using them over and over again. My mom was like, don't they know any other dances? This is not all that disco was. <laughs> <laughs> my mom hated disco. But um, she liked the Bee Gees. So, but I saw Saturday Fever of my own volition. And yeah, there's definitely, you can tell that they have a point of reference. And they're going to drag that into the ground. No further research was done. Yeah. Well, and, and like. stuck with those moves. Sam does his stripper moves. They're not even disco moves. Uh, Pop doesn't do that. Uh, any kind of disco-y things. Um, Finn is really funny doing that, like, hand, that, you know, the, the very stereotypical disco finger thing. And it's so Corn funny. Corn ripped that shirt. <laughs> I remember a behind-the-scenes photo. Cord like, literally ripped that shirt in half. <laughs> he didn't, like, That's pop awesome. the buttons. He, he actually ripped it. I remember the photo. <laughs> That's oh, great. So funny. And Kurt doesn't even, he just does a cartwheel. I'm like, that's not even dancing. I love the cartwheel. I, <laughs> I mean, I do too, but it's not dancing. No, it's not. But he really wanted to win. You know what else is really funny? This ending, when they, they get all together and they're all dancing and syncing, it's it looks like um, a dance class where everybody's awkwardly trying to keep up to the, the dancer that's, you know, the, the teacher. And it's so, like, one, two, three, four, left, right, up, you know. <laughs> Yeah, they're literally, I believe they are actually doing the hustle, but which is like the disco version of the electric slide. 
But you can tell it's like they're learning it and not actually dancing. So I'm sure they, I mean, probably one of the, I like that because usually it's like they all burst into like spontaneous choreography that no one ever taught them, but they just know. So for once it's nice to see them like actually like, okay, I don't know this. I'm not spontaneously (laughs) knowing how to do the hustle. And yeah, you're right. They like uh, Will says the the winner, and and Kurt has got like every finger crossed. And then yeah, they, they announce Fanny. He's like, what? Everyone looks just like who? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, but yeah, this is where Finn. I'm not Finn. Where um, Will brings in the seniors, and again, it's you know I'm gonna help out Finn with all of this stuff, but. Santana and, and Mercedes are kind of on their own. Yeah, and he's definitely, you know, if he were going to intervene as an educator, you know, when one of his students releases a sex tape, I think that would be the time that you jump in and probably <laughs> should do something. Well, and one thing that makes me kind of sad about Santana's story in general is that... They, they even, like, get to the end of the series, and they never give her anything specific. Like, they have her taking dance classes in season four, and I really like um, the one that Chris Colfer wrote, um, made her a publicist, and that was an excellent position for her. I have this dream of Santana and Kitty being those people, their publicists, when they get older and they're all famous. Like, in my head, the idea of Santana and Kitty as their publicists Brings me joy on my saddest day. <laughs> but, um, uh, did you want to, Kay, did you want to talk about uh, Disco Inferno since that's where we're at? Okay, well, first of all, in that meeting, and I just get the feeling Mercedes is so tired of Mr. Shoe's shit. She's so ready to go. Like, she just, she's like, calls him out immediately in that little meeting, and I love it. And Disco Inferno... So there's a lot of talk, and I think I mentioned this in the Mercedes podcast as well, but there's a lot of talk over the series of how how much Kurt's grown and you can see him blossom and, and all of that, and he does. And it's especially it's especially noticeable because he went from teeny tiny little baby to a grown man in the span of the show. But one character who's blossomed, and I think this is like the moment of her coming out of that shell, is Mercedes. You know, she is so beautiful and sexy in this number like I can't even deal with it like I don't like I just watch it and I'm just like in awe of how amazing she looks in this number and how amazing she sounds to quote Beast she made the song her prison bitch it is just I can I don't even like the real version of the song I can't stand it actually but this version is one of my top favorite Mercedes solos of all time it is just amazing she looks amazing those 70s clothes are so flattering on the girls. They all look so pretty in this episode. I just cannot get over it. And what <laughs> she says at the end is true. She she admires people like Whitney and Mariah, and that's what she wants. They are, quote-unquote, parking marks, because when you have a voice like that, you don't need to do... You don't need to be exploded and have pyrotechnics and... A thousand dancers. You sit on the stand on the middle of the stage like Adele, and you sing your song with your amazing, amazing vocals. And Mr. Shu just continues to shut it down. Well, Will, it really needs a, a lesson. So angry, like that, that hairography lesson. He keeps having to relearn over and over again. <laughs> yeah, he really does. He really does. And so, 
I like um, what Mercedes says about being about being the cream in the choir room, but not out there because I feel like that's what Rachel's Miata storyline really should have been was and what it started out as. And then I don't know what they did in season four, but that idea of, yeah, I am amazing in here. But once I get onto the real world, you know, what on earth, you know, there's going to be a thousand girls who, who can sing, who can dance, who, you know, and so I'm glad that we got to follow Mercedes through her career and kind of finding her place and making and making it for herself and making a name for herself, starting with, you know, but this scene, her declaring it, I love it, even if Mr. Shu kind of shoots it down. And we should have gotten more. She says her dad is a dentist and he doesn't approve. And then we got, like, no story of that. And that's real, too. We got, I mean, obviously, maybe it was a retread of Mike's story in in Asian F and everything, but it would have been nice to have seen something with regards to Mercedes dad, not really agreeing with her going off to LA as opposed to going to college because that's what he did. Mm-hmm. I, um, the one thing that I always think about this, this particular performance is that I look at Mercedes and, and she really is, I agree. Just so gorgeous in the scene and you stick her in front of it. She's got, Brittany and Santana in the back, who are I, I, conventionally more attra- like that's who the media is gonna be like. Oh, these are the pretty girls, not Mercedes. Mercedes just outradiates them so much in the scene. Like they're looking kind of lame in their cheerio uniforms, and Mercedes is out in the front looking gorgeous, and and that just always sticks out to me. Yeah, she just shines when she, especially when she performs. So, and everybody else is getting into it, and Sam's recording it. Um. <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> I mean, at first when I saw him recording it, I was like, "Well, I know what you're gonna do with that." Later. <laughs> it wasn't put it on YouTube. I don't that much. <laughs> but I also love that, like, you know, again to the the Parkenberg commentary, she can dance, and I mean, obviously Amber Riley went off and won um, Dancing with the Stars, which I watched that season, and she was phenomenal on that. She was and, amazing. Um, so it's again frustrating that the writers kind of were like, "We're gonna," because they um, they do this a little bit with Kurt too in the early seasons. Like, this is how, we're gonna write it how we think that the you guys are supposed to perceive it, but it's not actually what we're seeing on screen. So you mean like the toothpick arm? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so don't get me started on that again. It's true or not? <laughs> so, and yep. And then Mercedes goes on to her, like we were talking about before, about um, wanting to be like Mariah and Whitney, and, and not knowing how to get there. And Will is just like, oh, that's stupid. And you're just like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay, well, that's not a dream. Okay, so are we gonna tell Rachel she can't be Barbara Streisand because there already is one? I know. Or are and, we just gonna let that go? Yeah, like I was saying saying earlier, she says here I don't know what to do or where to go. And this is the point where the educator sits down with the person and says, Okay, well here are your options and here's what's in LA and here's, you know, some people that you can try and get a hold of and instead Will's like, No, that's dumb. Or <laughs> like, here, let's at least try to find you an apartment out there. Like, could you do your job, William? Like, what? What? <laughs> I just don't I can't. And I live with a teacher. Granted, she teaches toddlers, but, you know, there, there is a responsibility there to intervene when you see your students are kind of 
going down, you know, or having an issue. Granted for her, that means if one kid is hitting other kids a lot, you might want to sit down with the parents. But my point still stands. If you, you have a student who's bright, who earlier this year had an outburst that was completely unlike her to the point where she, she walked out, you know, you seem to notice there's some kind of struggle there. And the only thing that you do to help that struggle is to tell her she's not dreaming big enough or in the way that you think she should be dreaming. Like, you fail, William. You're a terrible educator. Um, yeah, basically, Will's advice to her is the cream always rises to the top. And then Mercedes is like, well, you know, maybe here I am, but maybe out there I'm just skim milk. And then it's, you know, Will's just like, oh, okay, whatever. And it, it pans over to Sam, who's going to be, you know. Who Sam's like, wait a minute. If he's not going to do anything. I mean, at some point, well, okay, I'm only skim milk in here. Okay, yeah. He's treated, he hasn't even treated her like the cream that rises to the top. She's been skim milk in that room for the majority of the time she's been <laughs> in there. Yep, that's a good point. So, uh. Oh, I hate William. <laughs> <laughs> well, going on to, uh, you know, um, talking about dysfunctional things, we have um, a little Finchel scene. They are, oh, for heaven's sakes, why are they arguing this time? I, I don't remember. I think it's over the college because stuff. He- in Big Brother, didn't he say he wanted to maybe go to L.A.? Oh, that's right. That's right. They have that awful conversation at the end of Big Brother. Um, they're fighting, and I kind of like, you know, they're both being, you know, teenagers about it. But Kurt comes over to talk to her, and she is still being, um, like, stubborn about it. I mean, and and not wanting to help resolve it when she can definitely help resolve the fact that, you know, Finn is flailing big time here. And I love what Kurt says to her that basically is like, oh, yeah, that's a real mature way to start a marriage because they're engaged at this point. And again, is Will, does no one want to step in? Where are the adults? <laughs> I, I love that instead of texting texting Finn, she tweets anyone who's engaged to me should come to the auditorium. And, and she, her explanation is that she wasn't sure if they were talking right now. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> That's such a Rachel thing to do. That's great. It really is. It really is. I always feel... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, because then Finn, Puck's trying to get Finn to go to, to L.A. And I just, like, that would have been such a... Mm, I, don't, I don't know. It, may, it would make more... I mean, it makes more sense for him to stay there and be a teacher. But, like... He then turns Puck down, and it's a little bit frustrating to watch because it's still obvious that Finn is kind of just following Rachel and not really figuring out where he's going, which is the point. But as as gross as we, as much as we kind of avoid the topic of Puck for reasons, I really do love moments when we get him and Finn together as friends. That was a really sweet scene where Puck admits that he's scared to go to L.A. by himself and he just wanted his friend there with him. That was a good scene. Puck has always shined in those moments with Finn and their friendship. Like, I've always, I always wish that we had gotten more of that because I do think that that's, those are always the best, the best of Puck. When he's with Finn and you see their friendship there and, you get the feeling that they've known each other for a really long time and probably grew up together. And we just didn't get enough of that. Yeah. 
I agree. I kind of like that. Well, I mean, we'll talk about this obviously in season four that they end with um, Finn and Puck going to to college, even if it's in March. But whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, so the next scene here, though, is um, another um, Sue Mercedes uh, Kurt scene, and she calls them porcelain and wheezy. Um, and um, she wants them to get because they've now at this point, told Unique not to dress up as a girl. And Sue wants them to, because Sue is under the impression that if that happens, vocal adrenaline will lose. Boy, was she wrong. (laughs) But, yeah, this is where we get into, like, Mercedes and Kurt said, um, maybe you shouldn't do this. And, And as we were talking before, it's a little bit like they're not understanding the situation that's actually going on. So. And Mercedes' biggest concern is just that it's Ohio, and it it may not be safe for Unique to do that. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, there might be truth to that, but at the same time, it's still like, yeah, this person, you know, is really... It's more more than Kurt and his form-fitting sweaters that stop at the knee. This is a completely different situation. Yep. I like so Sue pulls out the shoes that they that she wants them to give to to do unique and I'm like Kurt's like where did you get those? <laughs> <laughs> and she just has access to everything because she's Sue. Yeah, she's, exactly. She's the one that gave them the the light up dance floor and yeah, anything that she ever wants just you know materializes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much because she's a demon. She can do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, so yeah. Um, then we get into Santana's story doesn't really start until like halfway through this episode. Um, the Santana of it all. Um, and she's singing to Brittany and it's, I, I don't particularly like the song, but she sounds good on it. She's so pretty. She is like that dress just works or that it's really a pantsuit thing, but yeah, yeah. that, that outfit is really interesting. And, um, I, I don't even know what to call it. Like, it's not a dress, but it's sort of dress shaped, but it's also got pant legs. It's a so, jumpsuit. A jumpsuit? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, dang, Naya. Jeez. I went to Forever 21 and they had tons of those. And I was like, hell no. Really? Weird. Yeah. Forever huh. 21, it's like this weird mix of 80s and, and 90s. And it looks like, I don't know, but I was shopping for things to wear to work and I saw one of those and I was like absolutely not you're not doing this again it is um, I have to throw this in there because uh, we're into this part of season 3 where we hold on to like any claim moment ever like and this is um, like total background moment but Blaine's like having a great little time just bopping his head and the line is like if I can't have you or whatever and Kurt looks over at him all lovingly. It's like a second. I know, it's so sweet. <laughs> but it's there. <laughs> I wonder if they started missing their scheduled makeouts at this point. Oh, probably. Because they said, um, Kurt says in the next episode, it's been a month. So it started actually um, uh, before Big Brother. Um, I, I kind of did the math on it. And it's a, like that time between On My Way and Big Brother is when they would have stopped or would have started scheduling things. Aww. So, yeah. <laughs> this is 
so funny. This was more than just a beautiful ballad to your girlfriend. It was also a powerful way to convey your dream, which was will to a wit oh, of marriage about equality. Like a law and stuff. Like, where did that come from? He just like made up a whole entire story. <laughs> like, and what the hell? Wipes her little tear when when Santana's finished singing. It's so cute. But I'm like, what? what? Have you met Santana? What are you <laughs> talking about? God. In my note, it just says, fuck you, William. <laughs> I, like how, I like how when Santana is talking about, like, no, marriage equality is not her goal. Like, Britney's always going to be my girlfriend, but, and then Britney's like, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> like, score, I won. <laughs> I love, I like that Santana is this open. She's like, I just want to be famous. And that is a, you know, there are people who feel that way. And honestly, that the show didn't end with Santana as a reality show star. I know. Is, I could have totally imagined Santana and Britney having their own reality show and Santana yeah. being super famous yeah. reality TV star. With the combination of Britney's start on Fondue for Two and Santana's start with the commercial for whatever <laughs> it is. Yeah, the stat. <laughs> Come on. Somebody had to have gone to reality fame. Yeah. It's definitely Santana out of this group. Absolutely. That's actually always <laughs> been my head canon that she would have done a reality show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Whether it's one of those ones where she has to eat something gross or go live in a house with a bunch of girls and get into fights. <laughs> one of the two. And then she, um, Santana, well, first, Will, I mean, talk about, you know, Mercedes needs help. There's that, but Santana doesn't even really have a vision. So, like, Will is really doing some disservice to her. She, he's not even, like, he's like, oh, fame isn't a, a thing to aspire to, but that's it. That's it. That's all his advice, you know? And and Santana goes into this big uh, monologue about how she's not going to go to New York and be lame like um, Rachel and Kurt, which they both look affected at, but, um, which is also funny because that's what she does. But, um, yeah. <laughs> Come on, and she Will. also says that Brad, the piano player, has a tiny Eurasian, a petite Eurasian hidden somewhere. The, the man-child piano <laughs> player keeps a petite Eurasian locked in a trunk underneath his bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just like, what? Why did I never notice that line before? Um, and then, yeah, she says she's going to be famous, and Brittany's like, okay, I can, I can do that for her. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, she's going to be famous, and I guess we'll get to it later in the episode how Brittany decides to fix that. Oh, boy. Uh, first, we got Finjol making up, which I'm going to skip over unless you guys really want to talk about that. I mean, they're singing one of my favorite songs from the album, but ugh. I wrote I wrote down the line because it horrified me so much. Rachel saying, nothing feels real unless you're there to tell it to, which seems like a problem. <laughs> yeah you might want to talk to someone about that oh man and then we get both of these kids lives Jesus. I know and then they people think Kurt and Blaine are codependent right <laughs> not that they are but you know <laughs> I mean they are but uh. Blaine can feel reality <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. And then they get the, I mean, we get more of the Finn story. With, he's there with Will and Emma, and 
trying to make college decisions and later he's just going to throw the pamphlets out. And... Oh, and I, I like the bit about some of the pamphlets he, he just had because he liked the cool shiny papers. <laughs> and and this makes sense. This is what you would do for a kid who's struggling. But this is what you would have done a year ago. Mm-hmm. Like, y'all are a daily and a dollar short on this one. Yeah. <laughs> on everyone. It's I mean, come on. Halfway through the senior year. Like, you should have just handed him an application for Lima Community College and talked to him about taking his GEs and transferring credits because that's what you do when you're in high school. You're not sure what you want and you need some time to think. You go to community college and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Right. Exactly. So many kids at my high school went to community college, went to the community college not far from here, that they referred to it as Hamilton by the Sea. Because my school was Hamilton and the community college is Santa Monica. And they literally refer to it as Hamilton by the Sea because half of the students are going to be there in September. There's not even, I'm going to throw this out there. And and I, I preface this always with I am a huge, huge proponent of education. But there is nothing wrong with a, a kid who says, before they spend thousands of dollars on something they're not going to do, to step back and say, look, I'm not sure what I want. I need to work and figure stuff out. I don't think there's anything wrong with kids saying that. And I think there's such a pressure, especially now, for kids to get into college and have a degree so they can get a job when it's just not, you know, unless you really know what you want to do, I, I don't think that it is has to be the only path exactly. that you go. Why put yourself into debt for the rest of your life if you don't have a plan? College is way too expensive. To just go because you should. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, then we get actually into the the other Britannia stuff where Brittany admits that she has, um, I mean, they it's at least a consensual sex tape. Um, <laughs> but she spliced it with Lord Tubbyton cleaning and posted it online. <laughs> <laughs> Two girls, one cat. <laughs> Oh my god, should we mention what the reference is to? Um, I've never seen Two it. Two girls, one cup. Two I've girls, one cup. Because I don't have the stomach for it. Uh, and and we're, I'm not going to even mention what it is. It does say that it's so disgusting that you would... Have, yeah. Ugh, I'm just getting grossed out thinking about it. Yeah, I've never watched it. I've heard enough about it. Ugh. It's gross. It's usually something that I... Like, I watched it. I didn't watch it. I heard about it in college because everybody was like, you got to hear about this thing. And... Unfortunately, that's what college is for, is finding out that there's all this horrifying stuff out in the world. So um, if you're really <laughs> curious, look it up. Just, you know, sometimes ignorant really is bliss. So <laughs> have a far bag with you when you do. <laughs> but anyway, it looks like Brittany and Santana's sex tape is um, much better. I mean, it's basically just a cat cleaning with. You know, intercut sex scenes, I guess. <laughs> and I'm like, are they both 18 at this point? Because the the point that, that Holly Holiday made with Puck and Lauren still stands. Yeah, I was thinking that 18, too. This is child pornography. I was thinking that too, but they are both seniors, right? So yeah, may, they, it's possible that they're 18, I guess. Well, and does, I'm trying to think. Well, I guess we'll get to it in a sec. Cause I guess Sue is the only adult who deals with it. I mean, it's not like Will is... I'm sure that like half the adults don't even really know that this is going on. I feel like if the parents of the Glee Club or any student at McKinley had at least half an inkling 
of what was going on. They would have stormed that school with pitchforks. Kind <laughs> of like that mom with the angry sign. <laughs> I'm angry. Worse. I would have been ready to burn that place to the ground. It's Ugh. almost certainly on a hell of Well, I mean, the fact that Sue works there and she's actually abusive to these children. Um, it, it's, Yeah. McKinley's on a hell mouth and nothing you say will nothing anyone says will convince me otherwise. Wait a minute. When um when in the story in relation to this episode was Santana outed publicly? Um That was that in was... I Kissed a Girl. Um back in um this is it was episode seven that that happened. Well she okay. was outed publicly in six and they dealt with it in seven. And then okay. this is episode sixteen, so that was nine episodes previous. Okay, so Santana's not worried about like people knowing that she's gay from the sex tape, she's just worried about the fact that it's a sex tape, right? Yeah. Cool, cool. Just checking. <laughs> I always had this weird thing with with Glee and consent again, because earlier this season we had Mike apply. I mean, Tina applied to college for Mike, mm-hmm. and Sam posted that video of Mercedes, and now uh, Brittany's releasing a sex tape and applies to college for Santana. And I'm just like, kid, and it doesn't, it doesn't, I can, it's clear to me, all of these characters are people of color who have other people kind of going about and and making these decisions for them. It just bugs me. I don't think it's intentional. No, I'm sure the writers didn't really see that they were doing that. No, just, Lord Jesus, it just kills me. It drives me crazy. Well, and I think also the idea that, like, you don't know what's best for you. Other people do. Now, like, for, take this Britannia stuff right here. Um, I'm kind of skipping over the, the Will uh, Finn talk about where they, he makes him watch um, Saturday Night Fever. Um, but we get this talk, and it's really about, you know, it's supposed to be about Brit- uh, Brittany teaching Santana that sometimes fame isn't all that it's cracked up to be. It You know, in execution, when you really look at it, and it's like, okay, like... Brittany, like, why can't Santana define stuff for herself? Why does Brittany need to come up and, and, and do that? And later, why does Sam, you know, have to do that with Mercedes? And, what, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It just keeps building. Yeah. And especially since Brittany released this video, which is super private, to teach Santana a lesson, it's just really gross to me. No, I don't think she did it to teach her a lesson. I think she did it because she genuinely thought that it would make her famous and it's what she wanted. Um, oh, okay. That's probably more likely. I probably just really hate the storyline that I'm projecting. Yeah, because I'm I'm pretty sure that she thought she she was being helpful, and um, she's like, "You're you're famous now. This is what you wanted, right?" So, um, yeah, I don't. I didn't get the impression that when when it didn't turn out the way it when it didn't turn out well and Santana realized that there are better ways to be famous like Britney wasn't like haha I told you or anything like that um so yeah you're <laughs> but, <laughs> but and it does of, come back in naked when when they're talking to Rachel about making doing that topless scene and Santana googles herself and the sex tape still comes up oh yeah no, and it, like I'm, I'm looking at the dialogue of the scene, and Brittany is like, you know, we're supposed to be a partnership, and here I'm trying to help you achieve your dream. So it comes from, you know, from Brittany. I, I'm not blaming Brittany as a character. I'm just like, when you, the writers not really think about thinking about the overall picture of this repetitive pattern that they're doing in their writing, I guess. Yeah, 
and this is sort of tangential, but sort of consent related to me is um, when Rachel at the end of the season uh, auditions for Niada and doesn't get in, she ends up stalking the woman who made the decision. Like she just like follows her around and talks to other people she knows and sends her food yeah. gifts and like until she changes her mind, like she's just like relentless. And, <laughs> and that, yeah, it's, yeah, that's not, I agree. Be lucky you're not on the props podcast because I will go full on rant about that. Uh, I can't wait. Yeah. So like, it seems like the writers do this kind of thing occasionally where it's like uh, consent isn't a big deal and it, violating someone's consent leads to good things for whoever. Well, they do that a lot. Actually, it comes up a lot in season four Finchel stuff where like Finn goes and beats the crap out of Brody because, oh my you God, know, that was yeah. my least favorite thing of all time. Yeah, I'm going to agree. It was so bad. It's, yeah, I'm like, Lee doesn't really, like, think about what it's doing. Or, you know, uh, yeah. So this is just another one. I, I, this was, I've kind of, now that I understand it a little bit better, but this is one of the things that made it hard for me with Britannia, like, with Britannia, I'm just like, why would anybody do this with their part? You know, but I understand Britannia better now than when I did when I first watched it, but. Yeah, I'm sad that this is the plot line that they get. I mean, it could have been done a lot better, but oh, Glee. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Glee. Um, and this is also the scene where um, I'm trying to remember why she ate uh, bull testicle. Oh, because of Fear Factor, because Fear Factor was so on, and um, yeah. Brittany is listening. And Brittany said that it, it came as a pair, but she got hungry on the way over. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Oh God. So, but I do like the conversation, like here. I mean, you know, sex tape excluded. That Brittany is like, "Hey, I've got ideas for you." And uh, what do you think of all of these ideas of, of you becoming famous really quickly and Santana stepping back and thinking about it? That's a really good thing. No, sex tape, no. <laughs> <laughs> sex tape, bad. So then we get into. Um, we get into our next unique scene where where Kurt and Mercedes go to see her, and um, I think this is they sent the the stuff to her saying here wear this, and so she's gonna wear it for her competition number, and they feel guilty because of you know they're doing it for the wrong reasons, and um, so they're trying to talk her out of it, but then that's when Unique's like, no, this is who I am. I need to do this for me, mm-hmm. and I believe and this then- is. Oh, go ahead. And then uh, when she does go on stage, Jesse like actually runs onto the stage and says, "Get off the stage!" Which is like it. It looked like he was like outside the curtain, and people would be able to see him saying that. So that's that's hardcore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, also a weird thing about Vocal Adrenaline having been called Borg, um, at, which um, originally the Borg were all like a hive mind. And, and didn't have their own, like, personalities. But then eventually there was a Borg queen who's in charge of them all, right? So, like, it kind of seems like Unique is the Borg queen because everyone else in Vocal Adrenaline is just sort of going with it. Like, no big deal. Like, this happens all the time. And <laughs> I love that. For, for anybody and, that doesn't know, we should probably explain real quick just for context. Um, the Borg was a... Uh, a um, they were a... Gosh, what were they exactly? They were on Star Trek The Next Generation, and they were this group um, that were semi, uh, like, half-organic, half-machine, 
and, and they, yeah, their whole purpose was to to get other beings from other species and add um, artificial uh, electronic components to them to make them into Borg as well. So they're just like collecting more and more types of people to be Borg. Yep. Um, this is also the scene that it's it's kind of key to the storyline where. Um, Kurt goes on about, you know, I've worn, ex, you know, expand, uh, extravagant outfits before. They were very flamboyant. And this is where Unique says, well, that, you know, um, uh, Kurt says, but I've never dressed like a woman. And Unique says, well, you identify as a man. And uh-huh. that's like the key right there. I think that's when Kurt really starts to get it. Um, yeah. Also, this song is so good. Oh, yeah. And also Alex Newell's legs. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He never misses leg day. Yeah. Every day is leg day. Oh my god. I was just like mesmerized by how amazing his legs are. Yeah. And um, yeah, so Jesse's yelling, get off the stage, and is like looking like horrified and embarrassed. And like, but everyone just ignores Jesse. And Unique. Unique does a great job, and the rest of the vocal adrenaline like does a great show, and seems to enjoy it, and doesn't seem to question anything. And the whole audience really enjoys it because it's such a great performance, and like everything's great. And uh, Jesse had said immediately before the song that he was going to fire Unique after the show. Um, for I was going to yeah. say that because <laughs> like um, for for fraternizing with the enemy or whatever it was. So yeah. For talking to Kurt and Mercedes, who are from their enemy school. <laughs> but I like, oh you know, God. I like Unique at kind of in the same way as Mercedes. They, they have such confidence and and just energy and showmanship, and it's really so amazing to watch. Like there are people who sing solos and um, Rachel uh, who just are boring, <laughs> <laughs> and you just like they sing one emotion and you get tired of hearing it. But I think um, a really good performer. Um, can change it up, and, and if they're energetic, then you're captivated. I mean, TV is a visual medium, and, and, and music is oftentimes just audio, and um, to to have it interest, be interesting on TV, you have to make it energetic and do stuff, and Unique and Mercedes and other performance of that caliber can do that, and I think that's one of the failing points of Rachel that I don't think she necessarily makes it interesting to watch her on screen. I you just made me really sad that I never got a unique and Mercedes duet. <gasps> oh my gosh. <laughs> now I was sad. That would have been amazing. That would have been so great. Oh my God. They could have sang a Beyonce song. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Oh, she has a really yeah, but... good voice too. I... Oh yeah. Alex Newell is absolutely amazing. And he's still performing all the time because they stalk him. I mean, follow him. On his Instagram. That's okay. We we don't. None of us stalk celebrities here. <laughs> Never. I mean, what do they even do when they're not on TV? I don't know. <laughs> oh my. So yeah, I, and I like um in this on the sidelines, Mercedes and Kurt are enjoying Unique's performance. More adorable. I love Kurt's suit. Is it? I can't quite make out the print, but it looks like it has smoke or something. I just whatever Kurt is wearing in the scene. I freaking love it. It is such a nice outfit. He's getting, now that we're getting into the end, I've been watching kind of Kurt's clothing through this entire uh, season because it changes quite a bit. And we get at the beginning this mix of 
um, things that are really out there, like that Princess Leia thing that we talked about in um, the the one that you and I did, Kay. And then yeah. um, more tailored, like, vests and suits. And now we're getting kind of just the more masculine looks. Um, so I don't know. But um, if I, I'll tell you if this thing goes back to Kurt. Yeah, I do think that Kurt's style post-season three really does take a more masculine turn than it did when he was at McKinley. And, and yeah, and, like, in... in the season three is when it starts to they, they they're playing with it. Um, it looks like it's it's kind of a smoky color, but it's um, stripes. There are, there are stripes on. It looks like a seventies couch actually, because my parents had one. <laughs> like, <laughs> but um, it's black and, and white and grayish tones to it. But it's kind of in, in a smoky pattern. But there are definitely like lines. I don't know. It's kind of hard to describe. But yeah, I love it. That's one of my favorite Kurt outfits. And, um, yeah, and then Jesse changes his, oh, it was later on, I thought Jesse changed his mind about Unique being up there after the audience, like, goes crazy about it. I don't think he ever looks happy about it. No, yeah, now that I've seen the whole thing, I'm like, oh, maybe it was at Nationals. Hmm. All right, yeah. so, um, oh, we get more Finchel stuff. Oh, we get more than a woman. <laughs> Oh, I love the the Kurt and Blaine dancing in this song. Um, and there were so many gifs of um, like Kurt dipping Blaine and that kind of thing. I know, I love it. And they all look the girls all look so pretty, but Rachel looks really orange. They must have had weird makeup, or maybe just the. It, she's just like overly tan. Well, it's because Lee Michelle is normally overly tan. Also, I noticed a bunch of parts in this song where she looks like she's trying not to laugh. And I think that it's because the singing was really hard for Finn. <laughs> <laughs> what they do with this is that they're actually, um, uh, for the production, they actually record everything first. And then when they shoot, they are lip syncing. They're not doing any... They, uh, the only times that they've done live performances um, was one of, uh, I think, two Darren songs. One was um, the Teenage Dream Acoustic, and the second one was All of Me at the end of season five. Um, I believe there yeah, was a... Fall off. And there was, one, um, there was one duet between Blaine and Rachel that was also live on set. Um, it was probably the Broadway Baby. Suddenly Seymour. Oh, Suddenly Seymour. Okay. Um, Against All Odds and Guilty Pleasures was live. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure Darren's only... Yeah, All of Me, I think. And then there's the ride with me, um, which was yeah. just the kids screwing around. So, um, yeah, they don't do things that are live very often. So as much I'm sure, still like. So like, I wonder if Corey Monteith was like singing out while while they were dancing and stuff, like along with the recording, like maybe in a an octave lower or what? Because it looked like I don't know. Just Leah Michelle's face. She looks like she is. Having a hilarious time. <laughs> <laughs> they all look like they're going to start cracking up laughing. So I'm wondering if, like, because there are times. Oh, clothes. <laughs> well, and it's so, it's just really funny. I don't know. Like, there are times that I, uh, when you watch just the, the Kurt and Blaine parts, um, it looks like Chris and Darren are going to burst out laughing. Um, so, well, of course, Chris is being really hammy during this. Um, he really is. It's hilarious. But I, I don't know why it just cracks me up that the song is called More Than a Woman and Kurt and Blaine are singing it to each other. And like, <laughs> he's definitely more than a woman. More than a woman to me. I mean, 
a lot more. <laughs> I don't know why I find it so funny. But yeah, it's, um, it's kind of, I don't know. This scene is just funny. And I don't, I mean, not in a bad way, not like, oh my god, this is awful, but it's just very entertaining, I guess. <laughs> and then we got, yeah, we got Britanna dancing, and we got Tyke dancing, and this is all technically a fantasy, and they're not really there, so Finchel kind of daydreams about being with the other couples. I don't know. <laughs> in Finn's head, Kurt dips blade. <laughs> Well, you know. Well, isn't this where what that says about Kurt and Blade and Finn? <laughs> um, Darren looks at the camera. <laughs> like does he really? Yeah, he does. When before <laughs> the dip, before the dip, when he's going back, his eyes catch the camera. Oh. Yeah. So. Oh wow! I didn't catch that. Yeah. Awkward. Awkward. <laughs> I wonder how many times Chris dropped him. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, so yeah, after a little fantasy, it's more Finchel drama. That yeah, hmm, it's starting to get a little tedious. Um, it's only going to get worse. Tedious. But <laughs> so, and then we get the um, I forgot what curtain. Why is my closed captioning not working? Um, we have curtain Mercedes at the lockers again. I love this scene so much. Oh, and uh, and they're saying that the that Unique's performance turned out really well, and Kurt's like, "There's something to be said for living your dream," or something like that. And then Sam walks up, and Kurt takes off, and it is hilarious. His face over, is awesome. <laughs> and then over Mercedes' shoulder, you see him kind of like peeking to see what's going on, and I love it. I love yeah. that. It's like, oh, let me see if this is really working. Okay, I'm gonna get out of here now. <laughs> <laughs> And even though I do find it problematic that Sam sent the tape in for Mercedes, I really do love this scene because he he is so sweet. And you can tell that Sam is just such a big fan of hers. Mm -hmm. I can definitely. And it's funny when you compare it to all this Fentral drama when part of it is just kind of like this idea that Finn is not going to be the kind of star that Rachel is and how it kind of, you know, how that affects his self-esteem and his ego and everything. And then we have Sam, who I feel like would be perfectly happy to be that guy who's like holding Mercedes's purse on the red carpet while she has thousands of people adoring her. I feel like Sam would be perfectly happy in that mm. supportive role. And it's a nice contrast to Finn and Rachel where you can tell that the idea of, of that isn't, isn't something that makes like the thought of that kind of bothers fit a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. And I think it is a problem that Sam uploaded the video without Mercedes permission. And she does point that out, but, um, but he is really like sweet and I can't help, but like them. So I can't, (laughs) I know like sometimes people are like, Oh, you know, uh, Sam and Mercedes, they don't really do anything for me. There's not really anything there, but this, I think this really speaks to me in a way that, like, like you said, Kay, he is so supportive of her, and it's a selfishness about it. Um, and not to like underplay that, you know, Finn does have issues, but like, uh, if you know, Finn would probably be resentful of Rachel if he had gone out to New York and just was the guy holding her purse and whatever. He would have gotten really resentful. And I and Sam 
no matter where they are, he's just going to be supportive because that's the kind of guy he is with everybody, not even just Mercedes. But the fact is that, like, he he is such a selfless character in a lot of ways, and, and there aren't a whole lot of that kind of character on this show. And I, I think that makes this particular relationship really refreshing because they're not even dating at this point. This is just, like, you know, as friends. Though, Don't they kiss at the end of this scene? Yes, they do. So. And it's so sweet. <laughs> I, I mean, they're I'm, just one of my OTPs. I just love them so much together because they're both so sweet and so kind, and and they work together. They're so they're so chill compared to all of the other couples. Are so high drama all the time, which is you know great and entertaining and all of that. But I do like that there's a sweetness to Sam Sadie's, and they're both such like kind of relaxed, calm people that this relationship is not going to have like those huge ups and downs like the other ones. They're both very, very calm people. So they don't need that kind of drama. Yep. And it's kind of nice to show that. Cause like in a, in a, a show that consistently is about, you know, couple drama and there's always cheating involved. And it's like the writers only know how to write one kind of relationship. It's nice to have these kind of low key relationships and not everything has to be high drama to work. I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah, Sam and Mercedes are off and on a little bit, but you can see that, like, their friendship is intact and that they work really well for each other and it doesn't have to be filled with drama to do so. It reminds me of this quote that what Rod Swanson said to Donna in an episode of Parks and Rec where he tells her, he's like, you know, live your life how you want, but don't mistake drama for happiness. Yep. <laughs> Somebody needs to tell it to Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel needs a Rod Swanson in her life. Hey. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> oh my God, she's hater. I love Rachel, but Rod Swanson would not be able to deal with her. Oh my God. I don't think Rod Swanson could deal with any of the people on the show. <laughs> Maybe Sam, because Sam likes to go outside and shoot things. <laughs> and Sam wouldn't talk. He'd just stand there and do it. <laughs> yeah, and he probably enjoys bacon. So I feel like Sam and Rod Swanson could get along really well. <laughs> <laughs> but the rest of them, he'd sooner die. Oh man! Oh. Yeah. So um, the next scene is Sue with um, Britanna, and and she's being the one adult in Santana's life. I mean, she's consistently like the only adult in Santana's life, which is kind of sad when I think about it. Um, but she's trying to. This is where she gives Santana the what was it a recommendation for Louisville or like. This is where the Louisville stuff starts to come out, though. Um, that Santana's. Going. I have been, I have been told by people that live in Kentucky that's Louisville. Oh, Louisville. Yeah. Yeah. We're Sorry, I'm just midwesterning wrong. it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I tend to California everything, but I've been told, I've been warned. Louisville. Yep. So yeah, this kind of wraps up the Britannia scene. The one thing I want to point out that I've noticed is um, that. There's a trend um, through season four-ish that Britannia gets a plotline, and the next episode, Clayne will get a plotline that's come up somewhat similar. Because um, they do it, like, oh, for the life of me, I don't remember. There was Sexy, and then there's original song, and then there was um, this, and then Dance with Somebody's Next, and then in season four, it's Makeover, and then the... I mean, just, like, there's a lot of sometimes Britannia stuff, and then Clayne stuff follows it. 
don't it's know. True. It's a weird pattern. I'm, I'm sure it's not really. Don't Britannia officially get together in the episode before the first time? No, that's. Together, oh, yeah, it together. is. Yeah. They do. I mean, we talk often a lot about parallels between Clayne and Finchel and all this jazz, but sometimes there's stuff between Britannia and Clayne as well. Yeah. Could you imagine if Blaine released their sex tape, though? There'd be no more Clayne. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's Aren't a fan. She's not that forgiving. <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> so anyway. So. Well that's over. <laughs> so yeah, then we get we get the end of this episode, um, where everybody comes in in their polyester suits and they all dance to um what is the name of the song? I'm so blinking. Staying alive. Staying alive. Gosh, I can't believe I forgot that. And there are very few of them that actually pull this off. Mercedes pulls this off. Yeah. Satana yeah, doesn't look so bad. Sue in a pregnant suit, or Jane Lynch in a pregnant suit. <laughs> I don't Not know why it makes off. me laugh so badly. <laughs> I think Tina looks nice too. Yeah, the girls with the long hair over, you know, coming down, they look really good. But yeah, that's a hard look to pull off. Blaine looks a little ridiculous <laughs> with yeah. his gel hair. <laughs> yeah. At least they didn't feather it. Oh, yeah. They could have feathered it. And Chris hair's a little feathered, actually. Actually, I kind of wish they had feathered it. Actually, there was a, there was one time when they did something to Blaine's hair to make it, like, bigger and curlier. Uh, it was the one where they did that, that um, Mamma Mia, I think. Um, oh, and yeah, I, they, like, flat ironed it or something. It was terrible. What? I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I did post a prompt to the prompt acclaim flick vlog that no one has taken where Blaine does a photo shoot and they straighten his hair and put it in a ponytail and it's terrible. Oh no. Then he, he, um, he decides from that point on to put in his writer that they never ever straighten his hair again. That makes sense. No one's taking this prompt. I don't know why. It's so amazing. (laughs) Come on, fanfic writers. Let's do this. (laughs) So... So yeah, um, so that kind of wraps everything up as they dance their final disco number. It's fun. It's kind of generic 70s moves again. But uh, <laughs> so but that wraps up our disco. Did you? Was there anything that you guys wanted to touch on before we close up here? I think we got to everything I had in my notes. Oh, I just had one question. Um, there's, there's a part, if I remember this correctly, Will is telling... Finn about Saturday Night Fever and he says something about the main character wanting to go from New Brooklyn to New York and I'm like Brooklyn is in New York like I don't understand what <laughs> what he's talking about <laughs> that movie is so inappropriate <laughs> you can't just show that to a student you just cannot there's a rape scene in that movie is there really yeah that's what I've heard, yeah. Yeah. It's it's really bad. You should not show that to a kid. Okay. I'll I'll remember that. I th- if for as many times I'm sure like the writers are rather famous and rich people. They've been to New York a thousand times. But I feel like they just don't know a lot about New York. I mean <laughs> I know more and I've never been there. And I live in 
LA, which is like the opposite of New York, if they could have an opposite. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This is a show. Oh, Glee. <laughs> I mean, maybe he means he wants to get out of Brooklyn and into oh. Manhattan. Maybe he wants to go to Albany. <laughs> maybe maybe he wants to be um, successful in the entire city and not just in his little local neighborhood. Probably. Or he wants to go to Schenectady or Poughkeepsie or something. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's what it means. That he wants to break out of Brooklyn into uh, Manhattan. Okay. That's kind of, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we cleared that up. That was bugging me. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to thank you guys for joining joining us tonight and t- explaining that disco isn't always bad and that this is a, a little bit of an underrated episode. You should check it out again. Um, join us next week because we're going to have all the angst with Dance with Somebody. So uh, have a great night. <laughs> and I'll, I'll <laughs> see you guys next week. <laughs>